0: everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Blastburn Radio Adventures. I'm Stephen. I'm Tanner. And I'm Celeste. And... Just to, to part the curtain just a little bit, it's been like a month and a half since we've recorded this show, uh, despite the fact that we left it on a very climactic cliffhanger, because holidays and illnesses have been really, really a pain in the dick. Um, but we're back, baby. Um, so quickly, guys, just to kind of refresh ourselves, it hasn't been nearly so long for our listeners. Uh, where did we last leave our heroes? Thumbbird. Danger
1: bird. Eats, Bad a times. Eats a flare. Eats a flare. Because fl- hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb bird. I love it so much. It's a definition of fucking mixed success. You fired the flare successfully, and it's eaten by a fucking dumbass bird.
0: <laughs> He's a hungry boy. <laughs> Ironically, like that was in no way a punishment on the roll. That was just the logical thing that was gonna happen. Well, he ain't hungry now. He uh, no, he's probably hungry. (laughs) I don't think he's conscious, but he's he's sleep hungry. Oh, why why is hungry making me laugh so much? Him him hungry, him want food gummy.
1: He wants his tendies, and he wants them now. Oh, oh,
0: god, no! That's that's super fucked up. Don't give him tendies. They could be
1: fish tendies. Uh, 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 It's... Yeah, we're back. Look at that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So there's a passed out bird. Smoking mouth.
0: Yeah where we last left you guys picking right back up. You have in in a vaguely close radius in front of you uh, a bright blue bird with smoke trailing from its open mouth Uh, X's for eyes tiny pidgeys circling its head uh, laying on its back on the ground uh, after having attempted to consume a live flare Uh, and then in the distance and getting closer by the second you have a very Large, angry murder Godzilla thing, uh, flapping its way through the air. What do you do? Dumb question.
1: Uh, Celeste, do you, does Astro still have her Pokeball? I don't remember. It's been so long.
2: I think so.
0: Yes. Astro does still have her Pokeball.
1: Okay. Well, good. Uh, because Nick's about to use his, uh, so (laughs) he's just looking at this bird going, fucking stupid ass bird I can't, I can't even fucking believe it. he gets up and he walks over he goes you're so fucking stupid and he just <laughs> boops the ball on on the bird feeling terrible that the bird is terribly hurt and that it is, it is his fault and in being unwilling to leave dumb bird out here to be eaten by whatever hungry other Pokemon are around because they're starving let's be honest there's a big fucking Aerodactyl eating all the food in the area So he boops the ball on this unconscious, like, largely knocked out Cramorant, muttering to
0: himself the entire time. Okay, and in a flash of light, this bright blue bird uh, dissolves into energy plasma goo, coils up, is snapped into the Pokeball, and it shakes a single time and... Congratulations, Nick. You are now the proud owner of a rash Cramorant.
1: Wonderful. Like when this happens, I think Peridot just looks over at me like, are you fucking stupid? (laughs) And I'm just like, I know, I know. I I just feel bad. Oh, he just pinches the bridge of his nose and is just like, God damn it. I'm going to use this for something Good. Uh, and then turns around and goes, uh, what were we doing? Oh! <laughs> Suddenly remembering the very large and very angry stone prehistoric Godzilla monster.
0: And I think, I, I think that Nick's attention is drawn immediately back to it because at that moment it like breaks through the tree line and, and you get a real good look at this thing and it is just, it is it's, it's eyes are, are wild. Like it is not, it is not reasoning in a way that you recognize that even angry Pokemon generally reason and you have no real frame of reference for this thing. Again, you've already established it shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be not just here in space, but here in time. Like this is a species that was believed to be extinct and here it is in front of you who knows what it reasonably would act like normally, but there is a degree of, of rabidness in this thing that is utterly alien to you when dealing with Pokemon. Uh, it it is not quite frothing at the mouth, but like, that's probably like the the best comparison I can give you. So uh, Nick, uh, looks
1: at, uh, Aster, like, half panicked, doing some form of mental calculus in his head, going, bug, plant, pass out bird. Oh, shit. (laughs) And he goes, please tell me you have your ball. Please tell me you have your ball. Please tell me you have your ball. Aster, Uh, the Pokeball, uh, (laughs) goddammit.
2: She freezes for a second and then just pulls it out and throws it.
0: Okay, so you are just, you're going for it dry then, not attempting anything else, just, yep. just chucking the ball at this thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we got,
1: I mean, Paradot, I suppose, could fight, but I think she's probably standing on my shoulder going,
0: uh-uh. <laughs> mm Well, I mean, to be clear, there's a lot of things that you could do in this situation. Like, you know, at the very least, like, you could try to observe it and and discern more but that's not to say that you have to like if this is the route you want to take if you just want to chuck ball try to catch it and and calm the situation as a fucking p that that's absolutely valid but there are definitely other routes that you could take here
2: that's fair let me roll to see how much she can actually control her emotions
0: well i I don't think that's something you necessarily need to, to roll for. Like, you tell me, you're role playing your character. Is Aster in control of her emotions right now, or is she just absolutely in a panic?
2: Playing her as a character, she'd probably be more intrigued than panicking.
0: Okay. Then play her as a character. What would, what would Aster do then, being confronted with this creature that is clearly a scientific anomaly? It's clearly a threat at the same time, but, like, what would be her approach here? How close is it exactly? It's still a fair distance away. Again, it's broken the tree line, so it's it's significantly above you. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say probably, probably roughly a city blocks distance away, uh, both horizontally and vertically.
2: Okay. She's going to tell Nick to just uh, hide behind a tree or something and then try to discern any more information that she can get from it because it's an anomaly. It's here. She's trying to figure out what it's actually here for.
0: Okay. So she's approaching this then very much as Aster, the scientist trying to mm-hmm. look for evidence, form a hypothesis. Yep. Trying to figure out why it's here. Even go ahead and roll mystic for me. Okay. That's a nine. That's a nine. Okay. Um. So you, you examine this thing looking for some sort of, of clue as to, why it is here, why it is now, and ideally why it is so enraged. And you notice a couple of things. Or first of all, you make the connection that you've seen Pokemon, maybe not quite this, quite this level of angry before, but close, really, really close. And even from species that are not inherently, particularly aggressive, Right, like you've seen you've seen Evie like puff out and, and go this hard before, but only when it's a nesting mother protecting her nest. Like th- that is like the circumstance that you see Pokemon get this territorial and this protective. Again, maybe not with quite this level of aggression, but close. Uh and so you you kind of make the deduction that it is very, very possible, if not probable, that this thing is female and that it is nesting. In addition, as you're looking it over, you notice for the first time, maybe you were just a little bit too nervous the first time you looked this thing over. But you notice that while it's definitely aggressive, it's also part of that aggression is clearly coming from pain. Like as you look it over, you notice that there is a like a a wide and large metal collar around its neck. And that collar is spiked on the inside and it's digging into this thing's skin and And clearly causing it some discomfort, which is almost certainly also contributing to the level of aggression that it's currently displaying,
2: okay, I'm trying to remember we all got potions way back when we did the forest, right
0: yeah well a- again you're you're traveling we'll say that it's I- I'm not sure what we had established in the fiction previously, if I'm being honest, but I think it's perfectly fair to say that you have a smatter you definitely got the one from the pokeball pokemart guy so like yes you have at the very least a potion
2: she goes into her bag and throws it at nick and says get the get the bird back up (laughs) if you can and then basically talks to seal and be like can you try to reason with this i don't know if it's gonna work but we need to try to help her if we can
0: (laughs) and i think seal is gonna look at you and look at that thing and look at you again and <laughs> i know i know it's crazy but it's better than fighting it all right what is sales nature again i think rash okay fuck it let's go <laughs> <laughs> so so here's here's i think how how this plays out from from your end, Celeste. So, so you you ask Sale to please, please try try to try to get this thing to calm down enough to be dealt with. And and Sale like again looks at it, looks at you, looks at it, does like a little bug gulp and bug bug, scatter bug. And with that it just kind of coils up on top of your head and leaps. And manages to stick itself to a tree trunk. And just with a determined bug, 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 it starts, like, inching its way up this tree, pr- presumably to get closer to the sky where this thing is currently winging its way towards you guys. Tanner, what is, what is Nick up to? Nick
1: is holding a potion, wondering what kind of crazy idea, like, he's not releasing this dumbass bird. Like, right now? Also, is she crazy? <laughs> like, you can't outrun an Aerodactyl if this goes badly. <laughs> so he's basically just staring like an idiot at the moment at how ill-advised this probably is.
0: Okay. Um, well, the the Aerodactyl wings its way closer with a, a loud roar of, Aerodactyl! And... As it does so, like the woods quiet to silence, like, like a pin could drop. Like every other Pokemon in this particular section of the forest is, has clearly just noped the fuck out. Uh, and so in the, in the reverberation, in the aftermath of this loud cry, there's utter silence, except for from the high canopy of the trees, you can hear Bug Bug. Bug, bug, bug. Scatterbug. Scatterbug, bug, bug, bug. Bug, bug. Bug, bug, bug. Scatterbug. And the aerodactyl turns, like its head turns, and its eyes narrow. And it goes in for a pass towards where it hears the chattering of this, this insect. Celeste, go ahead and roll, roll harmony for sale. It's a nine. It's a nine. Okay. So the Aerodactyl turns and it wheels its way closer to sale. And I think that what ultimately happens is it gets close enough that it's within range and sale just stares at it unblinking and continues to, to bug, 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 scatter, bug, scatter, bug, 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 presumably just p- pleading to this thing to, to calm down. No one is here to hurt it. We can help it. If it'll just calm down and it, it comes in for the attack. Like it is, it is not having any of it to be clear. Like you, Meaning to or not, like regardless of any other circumstances, you have entered this thing's territory. A, first of all, it is confused and scared in a place and a time where it does not belong. It has established itself a hunting ground and a territory, found itself a mate and a nest, and you've entered that territory, gotten to within threat range of that nest, and intentionally or not hurt that mate. This thing is very determined that you are a threat and so it comes in to attack Sale and Sale just effortlessly and gracefully leaps into the air dodges the attack and then from above Celeste roll a string shot for Sale (laughs) a nine a nine okay nines all night (laughs) So, from above, sail let's loose a deluge of sticky filaments that tangle this aerodactyl up, get t- make it to where its wings are connected to its head and its back and its feet, and it can't properly flap anymore. And being as much rock as bird without the momentum of those wings, it it doesn't do very well in the sky. And in, in a mere moments, it begins to spiral down and down until it crashes into the dirt. Uh, with Sail admittedly falling above it, but managing to shoot a separate sticky filament back into the tree line, catch itself and, and control its descent. Uh, and, and landing proudly next to the now immobilized prehistoric pokemon which is breathing heavily and wide-eyed and frantic but for the moment is completely immobilized
2: will look back at nick and i i'm gonna go do something really crazy you don't have to follow it's probably gonna go bad but i gotta what? do it
1: yeah like i'm gonna let you do that i'll be right behind you <laughs>
2: So she runs up to the aerodactyl and looks at the spiked collar to see if there's a way to remove it.
0: Um, I think that you're you're able to pretty immediately tell that it is. Uh, it's not. It's not a sophisticated device, right? Like it's like a uh, one of those really cruel dog choker chains, and it is actually it's it's locked with a padlock on the back, like on the back of this thing's neck, where it can't reach you with any of its pointy bits.
2: Hey, Nick, are you going (laughs) to (laughs) get (laughs) off locks?
1: Yeah, I'll take care of it. (laughs) He just kind of like walks over. What type of lock is it?
0: Um, I mean, it's just like a... Is it just like a padlock? Yeah, like a keyed padlock. Like nothing nothing fancy.
1: Nick kind of crouches down and, and rolls his eyes and says look away for a second <laughs> he just reaches into his pocket and pulls out a uh, set of lock picks and just starts <laughs> slowly working at the thing if it's not super complex yeah i'm
0: not even gonna make you roll for it nick like you you lived a life of crime and this is a simple lock like it you're you're not time pressured here so there's no real fear of failure like it might take you a minute if you goof up but you're gonna get it
1: the question, does Aster actually look away or does she watch him do the whole thing? She watches. She's curious. And uh, when the lock pops open and he just kind of pulls it off, he says, you never saw any of this. And then he puts the lockpicks back in his pocket and tosses the padlock somewhere.
2: I mean, I don't know why you're so scared of it. It's another tool for you to be a cop later. It's fine.
1: Yeah. Do me a favor and never tell astronomer that, okay?
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think that the Aerodactyl is is breathing heavily and a little bit more calmly, like now that the collar's off. Like, it's, it's still looking at you really hard, but it's much more of an appraising glance. Like, th- there's a lot less menace in its eyes now that you have removed the source of its pain.
2: Nick, can I get that potion back?
0: Yep, he hands it over. She uses it on it, and you can see that the the tissue that has been damaged by this this cruel punishment or training device. You're not really sure what the intention there was, um, but but you're you're able to to immediately heal a lot of the damage. And a- again, like like it, this thing is immediately calmer and. Not necessarily trusting like i you you don't know if trusting is even like a a target that you can hit with this thing, uh but it it's definitely it is no longer convinced that you are an enemy, a threat like now it's not really sure what to make of you,
2: okay, and then astro's gonna calmly talk to it, look, I'm gonna get this string off of you. I need you to not attack us, okay, we're just trying to help
0: and I think that it's gonna it's I I mean, I guess it's tied down and can't move its head or arms. So, like, it just looks at you like, what else is it going to (laughs) do?
2: She just wanted to make sure and she'll start uh, breaking the string to get mobility back for the aerodactyl.
0: All right. So. Again, I don't think this is something you need to make a roll for necessarily. You're. If anything, you're introducing a threat into the environment. You're not working against one. Mm-hmm. But Aster sets to work and starts to um, remove the the sticky threads that are restraining this Aerodactyl. And I think seeing what you're up to, Sale, is going to come down from the tree and and help as well. Um, I I think that it's pretty logical that a bug Pokemon would have some sort of method of like dissolving its own uh, adhesive from its its (laughs) sticky bits. Um, And... I, I think that you get about half of the, the the threads holding this thing off before, like, it immediately just, like, snaps the remainders and ba- backs away cautiously. Like, not... Again, it's not fleeing and it's not menacing, but it's keeping, like, a, a healthy distance as it observes you.
2: Well, that's a good sign. Um...
1: Nick is just standing hands in his pockets. This is an Astros show. This is not... <laughs> This is not what he would have picked, but it's
0: whatevs. And I, 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 th- I think Perry is behind your back, Nick. And behind your back, she just has willow wisps going in both hands. Like she doesn't want to threaten this thing, but she is fucking ready if it's go time. That
1: that does not surprise me at
0: all.
2: Astro will uh, walk up with her hands up slowly, and mean like, look, is there anything we can do to help? I I mean I know we uh inadvertently hurt your mate but Nick's going to take him to a a uh, Pokemon center and get him fixed up okay
0: And I I think it's just going to kind of nod I mean, I, I guess to be clear here, like, what is your end game right now, Celeste? Because, like, you can make friends with this thing and it's not menacing you and that's nice. But you were ultimately sent into this woods to solve a problem and making it happy by its lake again, where it's continuing to menace other Pokemon out of the forest. Like, that's not accomplishing that.
1: Yeah. Nick standing nearby just says, Aster, you're going to have to. You got to put it in that ball. right
2: like, I know, I know. I just have to get some level of trust before I even try, because we're not fighting this thing.
1: Okay, I'm just saying, if it flies off, we've lost our chance, and it's back around those eggs. Like, there's one of them right now. There's about to be more of them.
2: I know, I've got an idea. Just And she'll sigh and start walking towards it more. Look, um, this area is not ideal for you to have a nest. Um, What I can do is I've got a Pokeball here. I can help you with that. Get you to either be with me while I figure out where to take your eggs to be safe, or at least figure out a better situation and get you to somewhere safe with those eggs. That is not going to constantly have people coming after you because you're a threat to the environment. Is that agreeable?
0: Go ahead and roll harmony eight meddling rolls tonight so it's gonna look at you and it's gonna look at you real real hard with those big god i can't i can't remember what aerodactyl face looks like i know what aerodactyl mouth look like big mouth (laughs) i don't remember peepers scary mouth Okay. They're just white. They're just, they're just standard peepers. Good to know. Standard ass eyes. At least they're not soulless peepers. For some reason, I was thinking they were like yellow and draconian, which would be rad as fuck, but they're not. They're just white ass eyeballs because anime. <laughs> it's, it's eyes just kind of narrow into slits and it looks at you. And I think that. Sorry, I'm trying to think how best to play this out. Because like you're you're making a really big ask of this thing. To like y- you've you've earned its trust literally as much as a person can, I think, at this point. Because like you can surmise that however this thing came into existence in this time and place, like it is known only abuse at the hands of people. Mm-hmm. And you've helped it. Like While it was menacing you, you helped it, you removed the source of its pain, you treated it, but you're asking for access to its eggs, which is a lot. That's a big ask. Um, I think what's going to happen, actually, is she is going to, with, with startling speed, dart forward and she is going to very gently grab, like, the back of Aster's shirt and jacket and backpack in her enormous chompers. And she's going to take off. And I think Sale is going to have the wherewithal to, like, leap from the tree and, and like, catch a ride, like, stick himself onto your leg. Um, but, like, Nick, I don't think there's any time for you to respond. This thing goes, like, quick. And it is... Flying with you in its mouth, Aster, as it takes you back to the lake and back to the little cliff overhanging the lake, which you can now clearly see from the air contains a stone nest with four enormous eggs inside. Hey, what's up, guys? It's it's your boy, your Pokemon master. It's Jolly, and I am here to to cut in today, but I don't think I'm going to cut in with the usual stuff. Um, This is a big episode. It is the finale of season one of Blastburn Radio Adventures. It is our our dear friend Celeste's final episode on the show, at at least for now. And I just want to take a minute and... Talk to you guys. Uh, If that's okay, uh, I apologize. I'll I'll be sure to berate you about iTunes reviews and plug things at at a later date. Promise. I just want to say thank you. Uh, Honestly, I want to say thank you to to you guys for listening to this program, for being so incredibly vocal and outspoken with your support for this program. Um, When we started this project, we we had no idea if it was going to catch with our audience at all. Um, Even though it's still Pokemon content, it is so completely foreign from what we built our audience doing. And we weren't sure if you guys were going to come out for it. And you have. Uh, overwhelmingly. Um, I know that not everybody who listens to our content loves this particular show and that's more than valid. Um, but a lot of you have made it very clear exactly how deeply you love this program and it's a lot of work to make and that love has made it worth making. Um, so thank you. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying the show and thank you for making sure to express that to us. It really means the world. Um, I want to say thank you to my, my co-hosts, my best friends, genuinely my best friends. Um, my, my brother Jacob, um, who has finished his time on the show, but without whom this show would not exist. Uh, my dog, who is sniffing very loudly in the background. I'm going to attempt to scrub that, but we'll see how, how successful I am. You tell me. Um, and I want to thank, of course, Celeste and Tanner, who are, my very dearest friends in the entire world and whom I would be utterly lost without. Thank you for joining me in this crazy creative project and putting in the work and the time to make it awesome, to make it fun to make and rewarding and fulfilling. I I love you guys. Now, just as a general FYI, again, this is the last episode of season one of Blastburn Radio Adventures. Um, Season two has a big asterisk, a big TBD on the release date. Um, there's just a lot of questions up in the air in case you hadn't noticed from the fact that roughly half of our cast is no longer with the show. Uh, we have to figure out how exactly we're going to resolve that, when we're going to resolve that, and it's going to take a little time. Um, we'll keep you guys up to date. As far as what our programming is going to look like moving forward, uh, we gave you guys a rough outline a little while ago. But there'll be there'll be a new update coming out soon. I know that's weird. I know we just gave you an update, but life comes at you fast sometimes, and some stuff is going to be changing. Um, so I'm not really ready to talk about that today, but we'll we'll keep you updated about that soon. Um, and then in the meantime, you can at the very least expect the continuation of your biweekly episodes of Blast Burn Radio podcast. But yeah. Thank you very much, Celeste, for all your hard work on the show. Um, I I really, really wanted Aster to shine here, uh, but I didn't want it to feel forced. And so I just tried to sit back and cross my fingers and hope that it came through organically. And I think that it really, really fucking did. So I, I hope you guys all really enjoy it. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. It puts you down gently beside that nest and you notice that three of the eggs are clustered together, like off to one side, um, in, in like what is clearly like the, the perching position for this, this mama aerodactyl. But there's one egg that's kind of off by itself and it's smaller than the others and. As she lands, she noses it a little, and she whines, and she looks up at you, clearly concerned. What do you do?
2: Does it look like the other eggs other than the size?
0: Yes. I will tell you that I I presume you're examining this egg, yes? Mm-hmm, yes. Yes. Go ahead and, and roll Mystic and take advantage. Like, this is literally Aster's, like, area of expertise. Like, this is her whole fucking jam. Um, so we'll give you 14. 14. There you go. There you fucking go. Okay. Um, so. It looks more or less identical to the other eggs. Um, you do notice that the, the coloration is a little bit lighter. Like these eggs all look like scaly and, and are vaguely stone colored. But this one's like much more of like a light slate gray, whereas the others are, are a deeper shade. And you couldn't tell without laying hands on the healthy eggs, which the Aerodactyl does not – or the other eggs, I should say – but uh, the, which the Aerodactyl does not seem inclined to allow currently, but it's definitely cooler to the touch than other Pokemon eggs that you have handled in the past. Whether that is normal or abnormal for this species, you couldn't say. But given the context of the situation, you'd say something something might very well be wrong here.
2: OK, Um, she's going to uh, put her ear up to the egg and see if it's still alive. If she can tell that at all.
0: I think that as you're observing like this clutch of eggs as a whole, like you, you notice that the larger ones, the ones on the aerodactyls side of the nest, as it were, are like gently rocking and swaying Like there's movement to them. And as you mm-hmm. handle this smaller one and, and touch it and put it to your ear, like you can feel the faintest of quivers like it's not it's not demonstrating like nearly the liveliness of the other eggs but there is there's something going on here
2: okay well it doesn't look good but it's it's still alive there's hope
0: and like i think you see like again you're not sure how much of your words versus your tone this Aerodactyl understands, but, like, you do see, like, some degree of immediate relief wash over it, and it's just kind of, like, it noses at the eggs a couple of the times, and then it, like, noses at you.
2: At the uh, healthy eggs?
0: No, no, at the at the egg that you're holding.
2: Okay. Do you want me to try to help this one, then?
0: And it just nods.
2: Okay. With that 14 and Mystic, would she know what is going on or anything near this that's happened before?
0: I mean again what what you know is what we've already discussed. Like this one appears like okay. it may be stunted in development in some ways, like it, it is smaller and of a different shade than the others. Um you also again you've noticed that there is an irregularity with its temperature. Um yeah, I mean that's that's what you know. Okay. I'm going to assume that
2: she has a spare incubator just because of her interests, right?
0: Um sure. Yeah, I mean, we we can say that you have a spare one, or even for that matter, like you do have the one that Aster's egg is currently in. Like you, you definitely have access to to that. I'll say because the one that you're carrying your egg in is like a a fairly a fairly bulky affair. Like it's taking up the majority of like your pack, and like you may have like something more portable like with you, but it wouldn't be, I think, nearly of the complexity. Like like it would be like a portable incubator that's like fold up uh, and probably wouldn't have like all the bells and whistles uh, that that your little blue egg is currently sitting in.
2: That makes sense. So she knows her blue egg is healthy. So she's going to move the blue egg to a portable one and then put the uh, smaller aerodactyl egg into the uh, actual incubator to try to help it.
0: Okay. Um, let's cut back real quick. What, what is Nick doing now that this giant demon bird is taken off with his friend?
1: Well, presumably we were far enough away that we really couldn't see what was going on at the nest at the time. So, uh, I think when it took Aster, he cursed to himself, uh, and then started hustling back towards the lake.
0: Okay. So I think at this point it's, it's getting to be about sunset. And Nick, you come into the clearing and you see that the Aerodactyl is bedded down comfortably and, and seemingly contentedly in its nest, roosting over its eggs. And, and next to it, very close within touching distance, is Aster, who is curled up around this incubator with this little runt egg inside and is doing just everything she physically can to press warmth into this thing. Uh, And I think sale is also just like snuggled around it, like, like doing his little bug best to help. And yeah, like they are, they are collectively roosting this clutch of eggs together.
1: He opens his mouth to say something, then realizes he's alone. Except for Peridot. And blinks twice and just goes, It's a weird fucking world.
0: then he sits his ass down and waits. (laughs) And I think Perry just kind of like sighs and like maybe pulls out a coin and just starts like doing coin tricks. Because that seems like a thing that Perry would have picked up by now. (laughs) Just like running it across her knuckles, making it disappear and pop up in the other hand.
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: All right. Well... Unless you have like another idea, Aster, I, th- I think you stay that way. I think you stay that way through the night and into the next morning. Okay. Caring for this egg as this aerodactyl continues to roost. And I think that come morning, like you start hearing audible growls, not, not from the aerodactyl. Like it's not angry, but it's hungry. Like, its stomach is growling. And you realize that you waylaid, inadvertently, <laughs> this this Aerodactyl's broodmate and supplier of its food. And now it is brooding these eggs and has nothing to eat.
2: Great. Does she see Nick
0: anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, again, unless you disagree, T, I think Nick is still just chilling on the other side of the lake, just kind of waiting for something actionable to happen, not wanting to approach and escalate things, uh, but also not wanting to leave you either.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's accurate. Like Nick's not going to leave Aster here in a giant aerodactyl nest. And at the same time, like he doesn't want to make things worse by coming in and making it like actively aggressive. So his option is sit, hang out with Perry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Does her Pokedex have reception? Huh.
0: I tell you what. Roll Mystic for me.
2: Okay. 14. Okay. I don't know what the heck is up with the roller.
0: <laughs> well, and the reason I asked for that roll specifically is because Aster is like the, the tech expert, right? Um, Is very savvy. And so... Like, no, I, I don't think under normal circumstances you would get reception this far out in the wilderness. But A, I think that Aster is absolutely the type of person to have like a, a range extender gadget present with her. Um, and I also think that she would be clever enough to like be able to, to find the spot with like the, the utmost like reach i guess uh above the canopy line uh the, the least resistance in reaching like satellite coverage in that limited space and would be able to eke out just just a couple of bars just enough to get like actual service uh up on this cliffside
2: okay since she's up on the cliffside by herself and she's got service She's not going to assume Nick does, though. Um, so what she's going to do is, does she know the number for the ranger station here?
0: We never established that. So I guess it's probably enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, be honest with me. Is that something that Aster would have thought to actually take before she came into the woods? Like in character, is that something you would have done? Probably not. Okay. Then, then no, she does not. Okay. And your service is good enough to make, like, an outbound caller dext. It is not good enough to start Googling.
2: Yeah. She thinks really hard on who to call. And she winds up um, calling Professor Elm. She knows that he's not that close, but would probably be the best to to, uh, talk about this one.
0: Okay. So, Aster dials and reaches a... like like a secretary or a lab assistant there at the the Elm lab. And it takes a minute, but eventually Professor Elm himself gets on the phone and is, you know, yes, yes. Oh, hello, Aster. It's only been a couple of days since I saw you. I got to say, you were going out on a a journey. I didn't expect to hear from you this soon. What what can I do for you? So
2: there's an issue that's kind of interesting, kind of terrible. I sort of found an aerodactyl in a forest where it's not supposed to be.
0: And, and and I think that P- Professor Elm is just going to interject that uh, an Aerodactyl. We we haven't seen an Aerodactyl in in Canto in uh, my since since Red was out adventuring twenty thirty years ago. It's they're extinct. How where? I don't know,
2: but it's Viridian, right? Yeah, Viridian. Yeah,
0: you're in Viridian Forest,
2: and also it has four eggs. One of them's not doing so well,
0: and he's going to ask her, you mean to tell me that this extinct Pokemon has set up a breeding population in the Viridian woods
2: mm-hmm. with a Cramorant, no less.
0: And I think he's just going to start laughing maniacally and he's going to be like, Aster, this is, this is the find of a century. I, I I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. I'll be, I'll be right there. Do you have GPS signal? Can you send me your coordinates? And you do.
2: Yeah, she sends them. And bring supplies and food for it, please. It
0: needs way too much. Okay. And I think we can kind of fast forward this scene a little bit. Because I don't think you're waiting too awful long. Particularly considering the distance. Although, Newbark isn't that far from Viridian. Honestly, if you look at a map of it. That's fair. But... A few hours, no more, and the cavalry arrives. Professor Elm on the back of... Oh God, what the what the fuck would Professor Elm have to fly around with? A Zatu? Professor Elm seems like a Zatu kind of guy, right? <laughs> sure, motherfucker flying in on a knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's daytime, and that knocked out be sweepy. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, Professor Elm comes flying to the rescue along with seemingly the entire, like, staff of the Elm Pokemon Research Facility in New Barktown. Um, like, like, a retinue of a dozen plus, like, lab assistants and scientists and researchers uh, hauling equipment. There's a Drift Blim. That is, like, seemingly carrying, like, an entire, like, Pokemon rejuvenation machine, like, one of the Pokemon Center uh, rehabilitation machines, a- along with, like, a a gas-powered generator to power the fucking thing in the middle of the woods. Like, they bring everything. And the Aerodactyl is understandably immediately spooked. But, like, again, Astro, I think that you're able to to calm it down. Like, you... This thing trusts you at this point, and you just tell it, like, hey, these are friends. They're here to help. And it also helps that they bring, like, a significant amount of food with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not very long at all before the Aerodactyl is well-fed, and that little runty egg is in, like, the best life support system that Poké Science can provide, and is having everything that possibly can be done for it and that's where we are the the elm folks have set up like a an impromptu field lab like at the foot of this cliff so they're not approaching too close to the nest itself and they're doing everything that they can to, to make sure that the local wildlife is, is doing okay in spite of this invasive species, while also not disturbing like what is a historic scientific find in this nest of aerodactyl. And the egg is is set up down there in the base camp, leaving just you and the healthy eggs and the aerodactyl in the nest. And I think that the Aerodactyl is going to look at you and it's going to it's going to do its best to communicate with its big, weird pterodactyl body language. And it's going to nose at the Pokeball at your waist and it's going to nod. But then it's going to look back at the eggs in the nest and look back at you pointedly and like what it's saying with its eyes here are very clear that like if you want like yes it will go with you it will be your partner but it cannot leave these eggs
2: she'll just nod annoyingly to it and go well then I'm not going to leave this either I'll, I'll be right back and she's going to start climbing down
0: okay and Aster climbs down to the foot of the cliff.
2: And she's gonna find Nick. And, hey, um, this got a little more complicated than things should have ever had, but it doesn't look like I'm gonna be able to follow you for now. Gotta take care of that Aerodactyl and those eggs. And if I leave here, they're, n- <laughs> they're not gonna be able to deal with her.
1: Um, I think his reaction is kind of muted. His expression is just kind of flat uh, and he just, he nods and he says, all right, makes sense. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. And he uh, gets up and brushes himself off and gives her a big hug and says, you dex me if you change your mind, right?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll catch up sometime. Just take care of yourself and stay safe, all right?
1: No promises.
2: You better. I'll find you.
1: He doesn't say anything to that. He he thinks something probably not terribly appropriate or positive, but uh, just kind of shoves his hands in his pocket and looks at Peridot and goes, looks like it's just you and me. Oh, well, and some new friends and he kind of like looks down at his two additional pokeballs
0: and i think at this point nick would have gotten like his party healed again the the elm folks brought like pokemon center equipment with them and i don't see any reason that nick would like leave his boys kind of banged up uh for for that length of time and i think that one of those balls just completely unbidden just pops open and that big blue bird just materializes on the ground next to you and Gramborant! ant And, like, it looks at you, Nick, and it sees the other Pokeball on your belt, the one that's containing um, Desperado, and it immediately, like, tries to gnaw on it like, it, like it's a treat. And <laughs> you slap it away, and you're like, No, no, you stupid bird. Stop. That's your friend. That's your brother. You don't eat your brother. And, like, it recoils a little bit, and it hisses. And then it looks up at the nest and like almost wistfully it, cra, Cramorant. And from the top of that ridge, you hear, (laughs) and the Cramorant nods. And for a moment there, you feel, like, a twinge of the sympathy that, like, one reasoning being feels for another in moments of, like, sadness or hardship. And then it goes right back to trying to eat Desperado. <laughs> <laughs> he he kind of, like, slaps it off,
1: this thing again. And instead of calling it back to his Pokeball, he just waves it on and says, Come on, you goddamn jester. You too. Let's go.
0: By the way, does Kramerant have a nickname?
1: His nickname is Jester.
0: Okay. We need some of that high quality perfo- Persona 5 artwork now. <laughs> All right. And we, with that, is Nick taking off?
1: Yeah. I mean, no reason to hang around here. He's got work to do. Everybody else bailed, but it doesn't free him from his obligations or responsibility. He will dexed nanu on the way to just give him the lowdown on the situation of the last two days you know it's like that fucking death star run lost tyree lost hutch
0: (laughs) like they're gone it's just me now and i i think you just get back a simple response that says i'm sorry nick this was the other guy's plan and it was his for a reason gray is very good at what he does, but he sees people as tools and he uses them as such. And as you've seen, that's not always, in fact, that's rarely the best way. People are people and they have their own wants and needs. And a hammer that wants to be a screwdriver is no hammer at all. Nick reading this text raises an eyebrow, <laughs> just picturing this visually. I'm sorry that the team didn't pan out, but I know that you want this, and I know that you're going to find a way. Keep me posted. I'll be here. And with that, I think the camera just kind of pans on Nick walking to the north peridot by his side and jester just like bobbing to the left and to the right and behind and in front and trying to gnaw on everything in sight as as nick just rolls his eyes and just keeps moving (laughs) and i think from there we get like a couple of shots in sequence we we see that a little bit of time has passed and You see the harbor of Cantalave City, and the snow is falling, and Rin is at home, and she is on the docks with her mom and her dad, and ostensibly she should be working, but she's sitting on a barrel with a book in her hands, and her parents just kind of smile and roll their eyes and carry on with the day's labor as Ruka rolls around on his back and like swats at her shoelaces as she kicks her feet and reads and feels a moment of contentedness and being exactly who she is and being exactly where she belongs. And we see Aster back on the the fields and the plains of route one and a massive swarm of spiro comes swirling back out of the forest and aster just smirks and pops the button on a pokeball and with a roar <laughs> come surging out of this pokeball and those Spiros turn as one and flee to the north because if giant stony murder dragons are fucking everywhere they might as well be home where they feel the safest and all of the Rattata and the Caterpie and the Pidgey rejoice as Alone Makuhita stands in the field and nods solemnly, and the invasive Spiros make their long flight home. And then our camera pans back to Nicholas Coletti, taking his first steps out of the Viridian Forest, brushing himself off, and walking into Pewter City for the very first time. More than a little trepidatious. Significantly nervous. Uh, He started this journey with a team, with friends, and, and now he's all alone against odds that have never felt longer. But... He's determined. And he starts walking towards the Pokemon Center. When he bumps into something and Nick wasn't paying a ton of attention to where he was going. He was kind of lost in his own head and he hears a, Hey, watch it. And he looks up and he bumped into a young man, significantly taller than Nick and built like with with a with a muscular frame what was once wiry and lean having filled out into the the casual athleticism of a young man in the prime of his youth and he's wearing black slacks and a black turtleneck with a dingy jean jacket thrown on over it obscuring the front and a black cap covering, a shock of what is now bleach blonde dyed hair. And familiar eyes look up and lock with Nick's. And Sakamoto says, Nick? Nick Coletti?